Matthew 3, 1 through 2, and 4, 12 through 17. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light, and for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You may be seated. So this is kind of a weird reading for Christmas morning, I realize, but the last four weeks for Advent, we've been working through the first two chapters of the Gospel of Matthew, and we're going to continue to be preaching through the Gospel of Matthew in the weeks ahead of us. And, um, and in many ways, I think that the passages we just read, which are both John the Baptist and then Jesus starting their public ministry, are actually really important to understand what Christmas is about. In many ways, the familiar stories we talked about the last few weeks of the birth of Jesus and the wise men and even things like Herod's uh, uh, killing of the infants in the flight to Egypt, those are the familiar things, but they are sort of the prologue setting up the ministry of Jesus. And here, this morning, what I want us to talk about is then what that ministry, what the heart of that ministry of Jesus was, that Jesus is coming in birth set up. And to do that, we're just going to talk about a big idea, and then I'm going to give you an image that I think about often on Christmas for that big idea, and then we're going to talk a little bit about how that should shape our hearts this Christmas morning. But first, the big idea, and it's really, so, if... Here's the question that I want us to ask, which is, what is the point of all this Christmas stuff? What, not in terms of Jesus' life as a whole, Jesus obviously is born and then he lives and he dies and rises again and all of that is important, but specifically when we think about Jesus' birth, why should that matter for us? What is the central message of it? If you ask a random person on the street sort of what's the central message of Christian, you're going to get all kinds of answers, I imagine. A lot of them these days would be pretty secular, and it's a time to, I don't know, celebrate family or think about the beauty of winter or something like that. Um, even if they're a little bit religious, they might say, oh, like it's when Jesus was born, and you know, he was this good guy, and we can learn a lot of stuff from him. But rarely do you have people in the world, I think, take the Christmas story, and then out of that, immediately arrive at this message, which right after we have the birth accounts of Jesus in Matthew, we see John the Baptist, who we'll talk about more next week, but he comes and he says, his message is this, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So he comes and says, repent, which means change your way of thinking and living, change the way you're living in relationship with God, and the reason is because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That, in Matthew's gospel, seems to be like the message of the Christmas story. And that's, um, that's not just John's message, but then we skipped ahead a chapter and we see Jesus begin, begin his ministry, and it sums up Jesus' message in his ministry like this in uh, Matthew 4.17. It says, from that time Jesus began to preach, saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. 
which might sound familiar because Matthew's using the exact same language to show the continuity of John's message with Jesus. But none of that sounds like just, oh, childbirth or, uh, you know, sparkly Christmas lights or giving gifts out of a spirit of generosity. There seems to be something deeper about the Christmas story that scripture is calling us to see. Somehow it's tied to this call to repent because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's about the kingdom of heaven. The thing about that, though, is that I think for a lot of Christians, they're equally a little bit befuddled by that kind of message coming out of Christmas. I think when Christians think about a message about the kingdom of heaven and about what Jesus comes to do, they tend to tell a story that's more like this. I'll actually put it up on the screen. But they tend to think like, well, what happens is like you live and then it, you die and then at the end of your life you kind of either go to heaven, which I think is what most Christians think about when they hear the language of like the kingdom of heaven, or you go to hell if you don't follow Jesus and that's a heavy kind of thought for Christmas morning, but their focus is very much on the message of Jesus as centering on sort of what happens after you die. And the thing is, I think that's why for a lot of Christians, the message of Christmas feels a little weird too. It's like, well, I guess Jesus had to be born so that then he could eventually die and rise again so that we don't have to go to hell when we die and we can go to heaven. That's not untrue. There's biblical stuff there, but Christmas still kind of seems like an afterthought. And it equally actually doesn't seem to fit entirely with that message. Because notice again, John says in his messages, repent, which I think, you know, most Christians get that part of it. Turn from your sin, turn back to God, repent. But then he says, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, which doesn't seem to be some message about this thing that happens someday when we die. Um, that, that the Greek there, it means that it has come near, it has arrived. So repent because the kingdom of heaven has arrived. And that actually, I think, even for a lot of Christians can throw us back on our foot and we're like, what is that about? If that's the central message that John and Jesus are coming and proclaiming, if that's the thing that Jesus' birth is meant to cause us to realize, what does that mean? Well, first of all, it's worth noting that Jesus, throughout his ministry, talks a lot about the kingdom of heaven. That's something we're going to revisit as we work through Matthew in the coming year. But he specifically stresses over and over its closeness or its here-ness. So, for example, in Matthew 12, Jesus is arguing with the Pharisees um, because he's casting out demons and they're trying to discredit his ministry. And he says this, he says, But if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons then the kingdom of God has come upon you. So again, he's saying the kingdom of God is here. It's come upon you. Or Luke, in another debate with the Pharisees, um, he, he gives, offers this exchange. It says, being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus answered them, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is or there, for behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. Which is to say, they come and say, well, when is the kingdom of God? And he says, it's here. It's right in the midst of you. And maybe the most striking example, and we'll talk more about this when we get to it, because this is a passage that a lot of Christians struggle with. But in Matthew 16, Jesus says, truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Which very much makes it sound, I don't know how Jesus could be more like, it's arriving now rather than something that waits for the future. And it certainly doesn't fit with an idea of the kingdom of heaven that says it's something that happens after we die. So you might be wondering, wait, what, what, what is that? What's going on? What is Jesus saying? 
uh, especially that last passage a lot of Christians struggle with because they're like, Jesus seems to say that this is a thing that happened 2,000 years ago, but we instinctively think of the kingdom of heaven as something that's in the future. So do you feel a little confused by that? If so, let's talk then about the big idea. The big idea can, that, that we're going to talk about, it, it, it really comes out of two questions. The first is in the Bible, who is the king? In the Bible, who is the king? Because the kingdom has a king. And if you've been to Sunday school, you can probably guess the answer. What's the right Sunday school answer? Everybody, come on. Jesus, right? God, we might say first. Those are the two answers in any like children's message, right? It's God or Jesus. But so God in scripture ultimately is seen as the king. He's the king of the universe. And then Jesus is God as the king come as a human being. Matthew in the first two chapters over and over, whether it's stressing he's coming from the line of David or talking about him as the anointed one or even seeing Herod be threatened and worried by this king of the Jews that has come, stresses the kingship of Jesus. And then the second question is, where is the kingdom? And in scripture, the answer to that is always the place where God is as king. The kingdom is wherever God is present as king. And so in the story of the Bible, in creation, God makes everything, and it is in a real sense his kingdom because he is present there. He is present there in the garden with Adam and Eve through them as image bearers, but also directly they are living life in communion with God, and the world exists in communion with God as the king. And because he's a good king, the kingdom is very good, and there's goodness and life and blessing in the world, but all of that exists because God as the king is directly present present there. And then what happens in the story of the Bible is that human beings rebel against God, and the Bible pictures that as the creation of another kingdom. Now, of course, God is still ultimately the king of the universe. He still sits in his throne in heaven, but it's spoken of now as the kingdom of heaven because there's a sense that there's another thing that's happening on earth. As we rebel and experience exile and distance from God, what exists now is another kingdom that the Bible talks about as a kingdom of death the kingdom of this world, the kingdom in a real sense of evil and of the devil. And so now what we live in in this world is that kingdom of death. Even though God is still king and there's still goodness in the world because he's king, we don't experience presence, and so now we're in the kingdom of death. Uh, that was for just a minute. But yeah, that's, that's kind of then how that fits into our story is that it would say as people in this world after our rebellion against God because of sin, We live in the kingdom of death now, and then ultimately, yes, there is an eternal separation from God and rejection that we face, but in scripture, that's actually seen as like the natural course of things, that we are now in this kingdom that that is already, in a sense, separate from God, and that our eternity is simply continuing separation from God. So then what happens at Christmas? Well, in scripture, what happens is that Jesus comes, God is the king, but what he does is he comes in Jesus and breaks in and enters in to that kingdom of death. Um, and, and so when we talk, when Jesus talks about the kingdom being at hand, the kingdom being in your midst, you, you know, the, these people that are his hearers, seeing the son of man comes with his kingdom. What Jesus is saying, in essence, you, you think about like he tells the king, the Pharisees ask, when's the kingdom going to come? And Jesus is like, guys, I'm right here. That's really the logic of scripture. Because again, where is God's kingdom? Where's the kingdom of heaven? It's wherever God is present. 
And by coming in Jesus, what God does is the kingdom of heaven actually enters into the kingdom of this world. And then, as the story of scripture unfolds, what that means for our stories is that what Jesus is doing is he's coming and inviting us into fellowship with him, into the kingdom of heaven now, when we turn to him, when we repent, and start living again as citizens of his kingdom. And yes, that again, that means something for the future, both communion with him when we die and ultimately his kingdom being realized on earth when he returns. But the kingdom that he comes to bring is something that's a present reality. It becomes present in our world at Christmas and then we experience that reality when we are restored to communion with God in this age, right now. We are living as citizens of that kingdom. Now, because the world is still a place of conflict and battle between that kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of death, that means that we experience still the pain and brokenness of this age. But it means that because Jesus has come into the world, um, that, that we actually get to start to experience and start to live in his kingdom even now. And that's really the message of Christmas. It's the message that the king has come in Jesus, and then it's an invitation for us to therefore start living again in the presence of God and experiencing his kingdom now. So Christmas isn't just about some past event where Jesus is born, and it's not simply or primarily about some future event where we get to go to heaven or something, but Christmas is a declaration of a present reality about the universe that's meant to be a present reality for our lives, which is that we get to live and experience the kingdom of God and his presence and all of the life and goodness and blessing that flow out of that. So that's the big idea. That's what Christmas is about, the coming of the king. Before I then talk about living that a little bit in our lives, I want to give you the image that I always think about when I think about how that should kind of cause us to picture the world. And to use that, I want to talk a little bit about the Chronicles of Narnia and the the book The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe by C.S. Lewis. I'm assuming that a lot of you guys have read it, and I I love those books. I have a tattoo of a broken stone table from that book. Like, I'm a big fan. But um, but here's what's interesting about the way C.S. Lewis works things out in The Lion, the Witch, in the wardrobe. So um, the, Peven- the Pevensey children come to Narnia, and Narnia is this land that is under a curse. And for Lewis, the curse is very much meant to be that picture of the kingdom of death. And in fact, the way he describes it is striking. So the white witch, this evil queen, is ruling over Narnia. But in Narnia, it is always winter, he says, and never Christmas. <laughs> which is meant in one sense just to say, oh, you don't get presents and stuff. But for Lewis, it's also highlighting a deeper reality, which is that you have the picture of the curse of winter, the deadness and snow and coldness without the hope of Christmas. And so they're there in this world under this curse, and they meet these talking beavers. And, um, and, and, and then this thing happens where the beavers kind of explain the setting to them, but then they say this. They say, you know, the, even though all of this is true, we've heard the rumblings, we've heard this good news, which is that Aslan is on the move. And Aslan in Lewis's cosmology is the Christ figure. He represents God and Jesus especially, who's entered into this world as its rightful king. But, um, but here's what's interesting. They're hiding from the white, which in, you know, it's winter all around, but they hear this message that Aslan is on the move. And Lewis describes what happens. I'm going to read a little bit of it here. He says, and now a very curious thing happened when they heard that. None of the children knew who Aslan was any more than you do. 
But the moment Beaver had spoken these words, everyone felt quite different. Perhaps it has sometimes happened to you in a dream that someone says something which you don't understand, but in the dream it feels as if it had some enormous meaning, which makes the dream so beautiful that you remember it all your life and are always wishing you could get into the dream again. At the name of Aslan, each one of the children felt something jump in his insides. Edmund felt a sensation of mysterious horror. Peter felt suddenly brave and adventurous. Susan felt as if some delicious smell or some delightful strain of music had just floated by her. And Lucy got the feeling you have when you wake up in the morning and realize that it is the beginning of the holidays or the beginning of summer. So they hear this, and just in that moment, even in the midst of this kingdom of death, right? The, the curse over Narnia. They feel this hope in their hearts. And then what's really important about the way Lewis tells the story that's really insightful to how we as Christians should view the world is this. They hear that Aslan is on the move and Aslan's come to Narnia. And in a normal fairy tale, what happens is that everything is bad and the hero comes and the hero has the final confrontation with the villain and only then do things change. But that's very much not how things happen in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Instead, what immediately happens as Aslan is on the move is that the power of winter starts to break. And really importantly, very early on, after they leave the beavers and they're kind of traveling, Father Christmas comes and visits the Pevensey children because even though it's winter, Christmas now has come. And that's the beginning of the, the breaking of the curse. And then you see the snow start to melt and green things start to blossom and spring start to arrive. And all of that happens before the final conflicts between Aslan and the White Witch. Because Aslan is on the move, even though the final battle is not finished in this story, Already, the curse is beginning to break. And something like that is, I think, how the Christmas story is meant to shape the way that we view our lives and the world. That what the Christmas story is, is this coming um, of these angels and and of all, all of these witnesses to declare to us this hope that King Jesus is on the move. That King Jesus is on the move, and that's the reality of the world right now. And because of that, even though we are still waiting for the final resolution of all things and his return and the final judgment and restoration and all of that, even though that's in the future, already the kingdom of death is beginning to thaw and life and hope and blessing are starting to flow into this world. And that's a reality that we can begin to experience right now. Here's what I think that means for us. That means that when we think of the world, we as Christians need to seek to be cultivating a fundamentally hopeful spirit in the present. Now, when I say, I want to be careful when I say hopeful. So on the one hand, what I mean by that is is that we, we, we need to not, as Christians, be pessimists or cynics. Man, I think one of the pervasive struggles of Christians in our day, in our country, in our moment is this deep pessimism and cynicism about the world, this deep discouragement and despair. Uh, some of that, I think, is cultural, right? We, we look around and we feel like, oh man, the culture's secular and there's all these challenges and oppositions and we feel deeply cynical and pessimistic about the world and even if you don't have that stuff and you're not like doom scrolling twitter and too obsessed with the news or whatever um, it's very easy for us to arrive at that place in our personal lives of cynicism and pessimism that you know my brokenness is never going to be healed these relationships can never change that um, I have this deep sense of despair and that pessimism is wrong 
But I want to be really clear. What I'm not about to recommend by hope is a sort of simple optimism. I think some people, including some Christians, they say, well, that's bad. So just cheer up. The world's not that bad, right? You know, everything's, everything's fine and don't exaggerate. And actually, everything's wonderful right now. Um, and that optimism isn't really what we're called to either. What we're called to is the hope of the kingdom of heaven. That King Jesus is on the move. And that is meant to challenge all of our pessimism. <laughs> like that, that should just be like this bomb that drops in the middle of the kind of like glumness and darkness and discouragement we have about the world and just like blows it open with life and light because you can't, you can't look at the future and say, oh, everything's just terrible and it's just going to be terrible if the king has come and the kingdom of heaven is breaking into the world right now. That should be a source of enormous hope and encouragement but the beauty about that hope is that it doesn't rely on our being just sort of naively optimistic either. Because it's able to say, you know what, the kingdom of death is bad. It's, it's, it's dark. The, you know, the world is broken and under the curse. And your hope isn't that things aren't actually as bad as they might feel. Your hope isn't that you need to pretend like everything's fine. Your hope, again, is that King Jesus is on the move. That, that there is a power at work that Christmas ushers in that is greater than the power of this world. And that is the thing that we're hoping on. So Jesus has overcome the world. Jesus is overcoming the world. And while our ultimate hope is in the future, right now, this Christmas season, what I just invite you to reflect on is that hope that King Jesus is on the move. So when you're in that place of discouragement, when you're you know, reading internet articles for hours that are just making you angry or despairing or listening to people talking about how terrible everything is about the world and you just feel glum and want to give up. You're getting, you know, there's like campaign emails trying to get money from you or whatever. When you're in that place of discouragement, just pause and speak the truth that King Jesus is moving and the curse is beginning to break. Or if it's your own life, right? When you're in that place of just frustration or looking around feeling like things aren't getting better or feeling like, you know, I'm struggling and I just feel like I can't get ahead or whatever those personal discouragements are. I mean, I'm not saying pretend like they're not hard, but I'm saying look at those and say, but nonetheless, King Jesus is on the move and the curse is beginning to break. And maybe even if you can find a way to do it with the people around you. Now, I want to be careful here because don't be that guy who's just like, oh, cheer up, everybody. Like, you don't, you know, everything's not, you know, there is a way to do that insensitively. But when people around you are facing discouragement and darkness, ask, how can I gently, wisely, beautifully speak to them that hope that King Jesus is on the move and the curse is beginning to break? Because, friends, that is the hope of Christmas, that the king has come. And in that reality, we find the freedom and the power to live hopeful lives for Jesus in this age. That hope of the kingdom is the fuel for righteousness, and that hope for the kingdom is the kindling for our worship, and that hope is the engine that drives God's mission. And the more we can rest in that hope that King Jesus is on the move today and in our lives, the more we, we can begin to see the kingdom be realized in our midst. That's the hope of Christmas, friends. Let's pray. Jesus Christ, I give you thanks that you, um, that in you the Son, the eternal Son, came into our midst. And so God's kingdom has broken once more into the darkness and the death of this world. 
I pray, Lord, that you would make us people whose hearts are fixed on that kingdom. I pray you would make us people whose lives are transformed by that kingdom. I pray you would speak to us of its surpassing worth, and I pray most of all that you would speak to us the hope and joy and peace and encouragement of knowing that you are on the move. May we be people who hope in you as our king. Pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.